Well, it was the night before my college graduation, a graduation I didn't really even want to be a part of, uh, but my parents held my graduation gift over my head and forced me to go walk and receive my degree if I was going to get my graduation gift, and I decided I wanted a gift, so I'd go to graduation. And the night before, I stayed in the dorm for one final time. I'd, I'd finished school about six months earlier. And so I went back and, and hung out with friends for one final night in the dorms. And it was a, it was a fun night. We, we relived all kinds of wonderful memories. We made fun of each other because that's what you do when you like each other. And uh, just we're, we're ripping on each other mercilessly. And that was a lot of fun, making fun of, uh, making fun of some of the things that we'd seen. And then about 3 o'clock in the morning, all the, all the joking died down, and the rest of the world had, had fallen asleep hours before, and, and things took on a little bit more of a, a somber tone, as some people uh, realized this would be the last time that we would spend together, as we would all graduate and go our, our separate ways. And, and then we started thinking about some of our, our good memories, we started thinking about some of our successes and some of our failures, some of the, the great times and some of the challenging times, some of the times that, that we just uh, didn't know how we'd get through, some of the other times where we, we just experienced the best of, of what the world had to offer, so it seemed. We talked about our expectations and our realities and just spent time as friends. And this morning, as we look at the final I Am statement that Jesus has in the book of John, it's in a very intimate gathering. It's Jesus and the 11 remaining disciples. Judas has already been revealed to be betraying Jesus, and he's left the company. So it's just Jesus and the 11 other disciples late at night, Jesus talking with his friends and with his followers. So if you have your phones or your tablets and you've downloaded the Bible app, I'd encourage you to follow along with us this morning as we're going to be looking at John 15. John 15, as we look at Jesus' final I am statement of the book of John where we read these words in John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, we might think that's kind of an interesting metaphor, wonder why Jesus would liken himself to the vine, wonder what that's all about. But Israelites were very familiar They were very familiar with this picture. In fact, we see it throughout the Old Testament that God likens the the people of Israel to being a vine. And oftentimes, it's not a promising thing. Oftentimes, it's in relation to ways that they have failed. Oftentimes, it's in relation to the fact that they have not lived up to the promise and potential that God had for them. And so oftentimes, when this picture is used, it's not a positive picture. And what Jesus is saying here to his disciples is something that all of us who made the decision to follow Jesus have recognized. And Jesus is telling his disciples, I am what you couldn't be. I am what you couldn't be. And all of us who've made the decision to follow Jesus, we've had to arrive at that point in our understanding that Jesus is what we cannot be. Jesus is for us what we cannot be. Because God's standard is a standard of perfection. 
Now, we may scratch our heads at that, and we may say, well, I don't understand why God's standard would be perfection. Shouldn't it just be that you're good enough? Shouldn't it just be that you do more good in your life than you do bad, that your good outweighs your bad? Shouldn't it just be that you have more good thoughts than you do bad thoughts? Shouldn't it be some kind of system like that, as opposed to the standard of perfection that nobody can attain that God puts on us? And regardless of how you feel about that standard, God God gets to make the rules because he's God and you're not. So it doesn't matter matter whether or not you like his standard, doesn't matter whether or not you agree with his standard, that is the standard of God. And the standard is perfection, and congratulations, you fail. But don't feel bad, because we all do. And Jesus is telling his disciples here a message that all of us who made the decision to follow Jesus have accepted, and that is that Jesus is what we cannot be. That Jesus fills the gap and he functions in what we cannot be. Jesus is perfection and we are not. Jesus is our salvation and we cannot attain it on our own. And then Jesus goes on and he continues this theme after he tells them that he is the vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Well, that makes perfect sense. If you've ever had a vine or if you've ever had a fruit-bearing tree or had any experience with this, of course, a branch that's not bearing any fruit is just sucking nutrients from the, from the plant, and you need to get rid of it. Let those nutrients that the plant produces go to all of the fruit-bearing parts of the vine or of the tree. So you cut off that part, that part that bears no fruit. It's weighing down the rest of the plant. So you get rid of it. That makes perfect sense. And every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. Well, that also makes sense. You want to get the most fruit possible. You want the biggest harvest. You want the best crop. You want the biggest result. And so in order to do that, you have to prune. You have to cut back some branches. You have to allow other branches to grow and to flourish in order that you may receive the most fruit. It's all about more fruit. That is the point. Until we put ourselves in the position of the branches. And then we realize we're getting cut either way. We're getting cut. So the question is, are we cut because there is no fruit in our lives? Or are we cut to produce more fruit? Because God will cut you. Not because he doesn't love you, not because he's angry at you, not because he hates you, not because he's judging you, but God will cut you so you provide more fruit. And we all know this is true in our own lives. All of us have gone through seasons of our life where we would never want to go through those situations or those circumstances again. Some of you are right there right now. But you've gone through a season or a circumstance that you would never wish upon anybody else, let alone let alone for you to walk through it again. There have been times in my life that I would never want to go back and relive. And yet, when I look at my own life, What's interesting is those very times I wouldn't want to go back and I wouldn't want to relive, I can look and I can see the work of God in the greatest ways in my life operating in those seasons. 
in the midst of failures, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of a diagnosis, in the midst of our hardship, God is at work. And I guarantee when you look at your life, the area and the time where you have grown the most has come in a season of hardship. It's come in circumstances where you didn't know how you were going to make it through. And you were unsure of what the future held. And it is those times that God does His greatest work in our lives. And we can be thankful for that and simultaneously say, I never want to go back to that place. And that doesn't mean we're unspiritual. It just means we realize that, yes, God produced some things in our lives during those times and during those seasons, but I never want to have to go back and I never want to have to relive that experience and that time. But the reality is we're getting cut either way. So either we're cut because there is no fruit. And by the way, to be a Christian is to bear fruit. To be a Christian is to bear fruit. And you might scratch your head at that. You might wonder, well, what does that mean to bear fruit? Let's look at what the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So to be a Christian is to produce those things in your life. So the question that you must ask yourself is, is that fruit in my life? Am I exhibiting these these traits, these characteristics in my life. And it doesn't mean that you're exactly where you want to be. It doesn't mean that you're as loving or as joyful as you want to be. It doesn't mean that you, you've arrived. But when you look at your life, do you see those traits? And could you look back a year ago and say, well, here's where I've come from back then. One of the things people sometimes do is they look at their own lives and they compare themselves and the worst of themselves against the best of somebody else. And so you look into your own life and you see all of the ways that you don't measure up. And rather than look at how you are versus how you were a year ago or a decade ago, you look at how you are and the worst that you have to offer. And then you compare that to a neighbor or a friend or somebody you look up to and you compare the worst that you are against the best that they are and you think I'm never going to arrive I'm never going to measure up I'm never going to be enough and that's not the point the point is the work of God within you as an individual making you progress in these fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that you are growing and developing against where you were. And if you haven't arrived yet, congratulations, nobody ever does arrive. There's always room to grow. So stop comparing yourself and the worst about you against the best of somebody else. But you must make sure if you are a follower of Jesus... That there is fruit in your life. Because to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is to bear fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, Jesus says in verse 3. Abide in me that I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
This is fascinating. Jesus tells the 11 remaining disciples, you're already clean because you've heard my message and believed. And this should give all of us who've made the decision to follow Jesus, all of us hope. This should encourage all of our hearts that Jesus tells his disciples here, you're already clean because you've heard my message and you have believed. And let's also force ourselves to just pause and remember when Jesus told them these words. Because in a couple hours, these 11 who are already clean, Jesus says, they're already clean because they've heard his message and they've believed. These 11 who are already clean, his, his closest friends and followers in this world, those 11 who are already clean because they've heard and they believed, hours from now would run and scatter. Hours from now would desert their Savior. Hours from now would deny him. Never mind the fact Peter and Jesus are in 37 Instagram posts together when somebody asks him, hey, you know Jesus, don't you? I've never heard him. I don't know him. And he just continues to deny knowing Jesus, who he walked with for three years. You might think you've got some really bad friends. I mean, that's taken bad friendship to a whole new level. And Jesus tells them, you're already clean. Now, Jesus is God, so he already knew that just hours after delivering these words to his disciples, they would run, they would scatter, and they would deny him. Here's the point. God knows your faults. God knows your failings. He knows the ways that you're going to let him down. He knows the ways that you have let him down. He knows the ways that your life doesn't measure up, and he loves you anyway. And he has chosen you, and he has called you, and he offers you grace, and he offers you forgiveness, and he offers you salvation, and he offers you hope. And some of you need to just stop being so hard on yourself because of some ways that you failed. It doesn't excuse it. It doesn't make it all right. But God was fully aware. And he loves you and he's chosen you anyway. And here are his disciples. And he tells them, you're clean because you've heard my message and you've believed. And just hours later, there'd be nowhere to be found. They would desert Jesus. They would deny even knowing him. So some of you need to forgive the person staring back at you in the mirror because your Savior already has. And what we see introduced here also is our absolute dependency upon God. Jesus says a branch can't bear fruit by itself. You can't do it on your own. You need Jesus. You need God. And he goes on in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And just in case you weren't getting it yet, just in case you're starting to feel a little self-confident, just in case you're starting to feel yourself a little bit, getting a little bit of a good groove there, Jesus is like, hey, just remember, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. It, it's not that you can do little it's you can do nothing. You can accomplish nothing, Jesus says, apart from me. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, 
and burned. Which brings us to the point that sometimes in life, we see people that we think have made the decision to follow Jesus. And sometimes it seems like like they followed. And yet, time will always tell the true story. Time will always tell the true story. Because some people like the idea. They like the idea of following Jesus. But they never transition to actually following Him. They like the idea of what Jesus offers. But they don't actually follow. And time will always tell the true story. Time will always reveal whether or not there is fruit. A few years ago when we were still living in Ohio, I had some branches growing off trees that I wanted to get rid of, and so I cut a bunch of branches off off the trees, and I didn't have anywhere to really get rid of them. And so we had a fire pit in our backyard, and I, I threw the branches down on the fire pit, and I couldn't get the fire going, so I decided every fire just needs a little more lighter fluid. And I put about a half bottle of lighter fluid all over these branches, and I lit it, and I, 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 I lit the match, I threw it down, and there, there was amazing flames all over And then all of a sudden, there was just all of this smoke. And it was green, and it was gray, and the wind shifted. And I looked out, and our neighbor had opened their their screen door. And they walked over, and they waved, and they shut the door, which was their nice way of flicking me off. But they didn't flick me off, but they wanted to because all of the smoke from the fresh branches was now just blowing into their house. And I looked down after a couple minutes, and all there was was smoke. But there weren't any more flames because all I was able to burn was the lighter fluid and a few remaining leaves, but the branches would not catch fire because there was still life in the branches. They had just been cut. They weren't dead. And as a result, they wouldn't burn. When we have the life of Jesus flowing within us, we are alive. And as people who follow Jesus, our lives produce fruit. Jesus goes on in verse 7 to say this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If we abide in Jesus, our hearts become so in tune with the heart of Jesus that God gives us the desires of our heart. And this just makes sense. That if we abide in Jesus, if we stay close with Jesus, the work that God does within us is He makes our hearts get in tune with His heart. He makes our lives in tune with God's plan for our lives. He makes us look more and more like Him and less and less like us. That is the transformation that God wants to do in everybody's life. And when that happens, our lives get to the point that whatever we ask, God gives us. And the reason for that is because our motives have transitioned to become God's motives. If we abide in Jesus, our hearts become so in tune with the heart of God that God gives us whatever we ask because our hearts are in tune with the heart of God. 
And Jesus goes on and he says this, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Let me read it again. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You know what's fascinating? Is earlier when we were reading this in verse 2, what we saw was that in order to produce more fruit, Jesus prunes us. In order for us to produce more fruit, Jesus prunes us. And that pruning process makes it so that our lives produce more fruit. But to produce much fruit, we must be devoted and engaged in prayer. To produce much fruit, we must be devoted and engaged to prayer. And one of the greatest obstacles to this, one of the greatest obstacles to this in our lives is our refusal or our forgetting the very idea that Jesus just spoke of, that apart from him, we can do nothing. Because we scratch our, we scratch our minds at that concept. Because we think of all the gifts and all the abilities that we have. And we lose sight of the fact of our utter dependency upon God. And sometimes that's because of all the things that, that God has given to us. All the gifts that we have. Sometimes it's just because of the daily grind. The day in and day out of heading to work and going through problems. And we go through that grind and we lose sight of the fact that literally every single day is a gift from God. That every breath is not promised to us, but every breath that we take is ultimately a gift that God gives us. And it's hard for us to keep that in the forefront of our minds. It's hard for us to focus on that because the problems of work, the problems of relationships, the things that we experience, the mornings when you get in your car and you look down at your thermostat and it's negative 14 degrees and you just wonder, God, why is hell hot? Because this is pretty miserable right here in and of itself. Why would you choose fire when you could make it cold? because this is absolutely brutal. And then you go into work. You go into the office. You continue to fight with your kids. You continue to fight with your spouse. You work through all of these things and you lose sight of the fact that every single day is a gift from God and everything we do is dependent upon God. Or you experience success and you get accustomed to success and you grow comfortable in your success. And then what was for so long the struggle and for what was so long the dream in your life that you would achieve this, you've achieved and you've blown past it. And you've forgotten. You've forgotten the struggle. You've forgotten the hustle. And now you're accustomed. And it's comfortable. And it's what you know. And therein lies the problem. Very seldom in life do people set out and say, today's the day I'm going to make one choice to ruin my life. Today's the day I'm going to just alter the entire trajectory. And more often than not, it's the subtle choices, day in, day out. And when we lose sight of our dependency upon God, 
And we replace that with dependency upon ourselves and what we're capable of and what we're accustomed to. We lose our focus. And we start to rely upon ourselves and our own ability. And the tragedy in that is we never fully experience the life that God has for us. Because rather than rely on Him, and rather than lean into His power, we rely upon ourselves and what we're comfortable with and what we do. And we lose sight of this idea of abiding in Jesus. We lose sight of our dependency upon Him. And Jesus just very, very forcefully says, you can do nothing. You can do nothing apart from me. And my hope and my prayer for us as individuals and my hope and my prayer for us as Lakeside is that we would never grow satisfied. We would never grow satisfied with producing more fruit. That success would never blind us and we would never grow comfortable just doing more. No, my prayer for us as individuals and my prayer for us as Lakeside is that we would always strive to produce much fruit. That we would ask God to work in really big ways in our lives and we would ask God to work in really big ways in our church and we would be reliant upon him to show up and to work and to move Jesus goes on and he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Our love for God is measured not in our knowledge of God, but our, measure, but our love for God is measured in our devotion to God. And don't misunderstand me. I'm a Bible guy. I can give you a verse for just about everything. I love Scripture. I'm not saying it's not important to read and engage with Scripture, but I am saying this, that knowledge is never a substitute for devotion. Knowledge is never a substitute for devotion. And when you look at the people that Jesus had the biggest problem with, it was the people who knew the most because their knowledge had substituted their devotion. Make sure your pursuit of knowledge is not just for knowledge's sake, but make sure your pursuit of knowledge is so that your heart continues to conform to the message of Scripture and that you are further in love with Jesus and not just judging people based upon a Bible verse. Our love for God is always, always measured by our devotion to God and His commands, and not our knowledge. Because those who knew the most missed Jesus entirely. It's all about our devotion. That is how our love for God is measured. And then Jesus says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God's desire for us is that we would live joyful lives. God's desire for us is that we would live joyful lives. And so one of the things that you must do as somebody who loves and follows Jesus right now is evaluate your life. Evaluate your life. 
Is it a life full of joy? Because that's God's desire for you, that you would experience a joyful life. God's desire for you is that your life would be full of joy. And if it's not, if your life isn't full of joy, and that doesn't mean you're never going to have troubles or trials or anything along those lines, but if your life is not one that is personified by joy, then ask yourself, how's your fruit? How's your fruit? And if you can't answer that question, or if you're unsure of that, then you really have to ask yourself, am I really following Jesus, or am I just following an idea of Jesus? How's your fruit? This past summer, Brooke and the boys went on a strawberry picking adventure, and it was one of those days I was so glad to be working in an air-conditioned office and I just couldn't join them. What a shame. I had no desire whatsoever to go strawberry picking with them. And I got home that night, and they're like, hey, try some of these strawberries. And I really wasn't in the mood for strawberries, but they wanted me to try some strawberries, and, and they went strawberry picking all day. So I decided I'm going to have a couple of these strawberries, and I did. And they were the best strawberries I've ever eaten in my life. And I'm not one of these feely people because my wife and boys went to go pick them. They were the best. That meant nothing to me. The reason they were the best strawberries is because they tasted the best. They were the best strawberries I have ever eaten in my life. I thought Brooke like soaked them in sugar water or something. They were phenomenal. Which means she has forever ruined strawberries for me. Because a couple weeks ago, she picked up some packs of strawberries from the store, and they were not good. They weren't good strawberries. I had, I had good strawberries this summer. They were incredible. They were delicious. They were like dessert. And the strawberries that she picked up a couple weeks ago from the store were not. In fact, we had to turn them into a dessert to get me to want to eat them. Because I've had, the real, I had something that was so good. It was so delicious. They were incredible. And once I've tasted the real thing, once I've tasted something that was so good, I don't want to go back. And the same is true in our life. That once we've tasted and once we've experienced the fruit of God working in our lives, once we've tasted and once we've experienced God's love and God's impact on our lives, once we've tasted and once we've experienced what God wants to do in each and every one of us, once we've tasted the love of God and the acceptance of God and the forgiveness of God and the grace of God, once we've tasted God using us to produce much fruit. Once we've experienced God using us to impact this world for his kingdom, once we've tasted and once we've experienced the real thing, we'll never want to go back. Because it just can't measure up. It's just so good. And it's so delicious. And the question that each of us must answer is, have we experienced that? Have we tasted that? Have we experienced the love of God at the point where we've all come to the place where we realize what we could not do, Jesus has done for us? 
that where we can't measure up, Jesus measured up on our behalf? Have we reached the place where we realize that God's going to cut us, either because we're not a follower of Jesus or God's going to cut us to produce things in our lives that make our lives look more like Him? And even in those hardships, even in those valleys, we are never alone, but God is there with us every single step of the way. And while we may never want to go back to those seasons, while we may never want to go back to those experiences, and we wouldn't wish them upon anyone, we still see that God was right there beside us, and God was working, and He loves us. And that He used all of those situations to produce something that made us produce more fruit that helped us become more loving and more joyful, that gave us more peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we wrapped our minds around the idea that we must really abide in Jesus and we can do nothing apart from Him and that each day and each breath really is a gift from God. So we should use it to the best of our ability to serve and love others. May God, within each of us individually and within Lakeside, give us a passion not to be content with, with more fruit, but with a desire within all of us to see God produce much. That we would produce much fruit for him and his kingdom. And that once we taste this, and once we've experienced it, there's nothing like it. So I just want to encourage you, stop comparing yourself and the worst of you to the best of somebody else. Stop comparing yourself with anybody else. And start asking yourself, how have I progressed in the last six months, in the last year, in the last five years, last decade, whatever it might be. And compare yourself to that. And stop allowing your failures to define you. It was just a couple hours after Jesus would tell his disciples that they were clean. They would flee. And they would deny him. And let's allow the goodness and the grace of our God and His love for us to compel us to love others and to model grace and forgiveness. And just say as individuals and as a church, our goal is not just that God would do more, but our goal is that God would do much for His glory. God, I pray that we would be people who experience you work in a really powerful way. I pray, God, that we would just start with an understanding of your goodness to us and your love for us. Being reminded of the fact that we 
don't measure up and we can't measure up, but you measured up for us on our behalf and you love us. And so God, we want to make sure our hearts are in tune with your heart. I pray for the person who refuses to forgive themselves. who's constantly in a cycle of comparing themselves against a fictional account of somebody they look towards. And I pray that you'd allow them to experience freedom from that comparison trap. And I pray they'd stop feeling defeated. And that their only concern would be you working in their life. pray, God, that we would be reminded of our dependency upon you. Not our own abilities. The grind of the day-to-day and the hardship of this world or the successes of the day-to-day and the celebrations that we experience wouldn't cloud our vision. Work through us, Jesus. Make our lives look more like you. I pray that we would accomplish much as people and as Lakeside, and we know, God, that that is dependent upon you. So we are asking you to work in our lives. We are asking you to work in this church. God, may we be a beacon of love and hope for all we encounter. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.